Good morning, church. Right, I'm just going to, I've got my very focus on today, I'm going to try this out, but it does mean I need these a lot closer, this, for the bottom half of the glasses to work, so we shall see. Yes, I'm that old, I need very focus. Okay, great, Uh, hopefully this will work, I'm going to just, let me, we'll see when we get to it. So yes, um, last week Pastor Joel um, started us off on this series, uh, Ordinary People, extraordinary God Uh, and it's something that we've been talking about in leadership since before Christmas Uh, and we were thinking oh is it the Sunday school series you know that series that you often did in Sunday school where you take these characters and you go through it and that became a nickname for me for a little bit for, for it but actually that's not a bad thing because our Sunday school is still church what's going on downstairs is still church so we can call it that we can call it whatever it's a title but the most important thing is we're going to look at some people in the Bible who each of us possibly can relate to some of their traits and God used them so that means God can use me and he can use each one of you in spite of what you might think are flaws in spite of what you think other people think of you. Ordinary people, but with an extraordinary God. Thank you, Lord. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, it might have worked, it might not, I'm not sure. Um, was that you or me, Nikki? It was me. Oh, good, I've got the power. Anyway. Uh, When it comes to doing great things for the Lord, you might ask, why would God choose me? And as we learned last week, as we started to learn, the pages of scripture are all going to say, why not? And it's quite funny, when Joel said this last week, why would God choose me? The immediate thoughts in in my mind were, why not? Why not you? Why not me? Okay, yes, there we go. And we had this scripture. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And I was taking some of Joel's uh, slides, and these are Joel's slides, just to set the scene, just to remind us it's the start of a new series. It's always good just to remind ourselves where we're going. But actually, it wasn't till this morning where this scripture, actually, I realized the reason I've put this in is for me. Because I came to church this morning feeling not quite right is this the scripture? Is this the message, Lord, that you actually want me to bring? And in fact, when Joel was talking about what was being prophesied last week in this conference, he was saying about the fear of the Lord. And I used to really passionately preach about those things. And it was only on the way into church this morning to say to Sharon, maybe I need to dust off some of those preachers. And I very nearly changed my preach this morning. But I think actually what God was telling me is dust them off, revisit them, and then share them. So I think this is right for today, Um, and I just want to encourage you all to test all things. Test everything that I say, test it with scripture, test it with God, test it with your situation. I'm a man, just like any of you men. (laughs) I'm a human, just like any of you, that's probably a better, (laughs) that's probably better. Uh, And therefore, um, sometimes I get things wrong, believe it or not. Uh, So please just test, test what I say. Okay. And then we're just going to explore these characters, so I'm not going to go into this any further, but we want to come 
so that we can serve the Lord faithfully, with humility, with obedience, and most of all, perhaps, with faith. Faith is actually acting out things, even if it doesn't feel right. Believing what God said is true and acting out of that. And last week, you remember Dave, uh, David talked about Joel. That could easily happen in this church, couldn't it? But actually, Joel talked about David. David, I don't know what you're talking about next week, but it, I don't know if it's Joel or not, but we'll find out. Um, a great king and a hero of faith, overlooked by man, but chosen by the Lord, failed monumentally is probably polite, uh, needing the mercy and grace of the Lord, experienced major discouragement. But despite all of that, he maintained a heart after the Lord's own heart. And as a good shepherd, he points us to the good shepherd. So this week, we're going to look at the Inland Revenue. HM. Revenue and custom. There were booze. That's great for what I'm about to say. I love that. So I'm going to talk about taxes. I'm going to talk about a short man. For some of you from Sunday school, you might have known of him as a wee man, apparently. And a sycamore tree. Anybody with me? Anybody know who we're talking about? Now, Zacchaeus, that's fab. That's great. Anybody know the song? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I? Okay, great. Okay, thank you. So he was a wee little man. I don't know if that means he was Scottish or whether it just means small, but thank you. Yeah. It's a so- story of salvation to a social misfit. And what strikes me is Jesus went through the land healing people and people responded and accepted him. Through their three years of ministry, there must have been a huge number of people. But for some reason, Luke decided to record this account of this wee little man who was a tax collector. So the fact that this story has been chosen, all scripture is God-breathed, means that it is useful for us to learn from. So let's, let's read this. Um, If you're happy to, let's read it together. I'm going to read it anyway. If you want to read along with me, that's fantastic. But uh, please don't feel under any pressure to do so. So Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see that Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was as small of a stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will store it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." 
Heavenly Father, as we explore this scripture together this morning, uh, will you speak to each one of us? Will you impart something more of you on us so that we can grow in our likeness to you and understand that you are an extraordinary God who wants to do with each one of us extraordinary things, not out of our strength, but out of your power. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So I've shared this before, I think, um, and I've shared it certainly with house group, um, but the the uh, in, uh, what's the word? The inspiration for today came from the Bible in One Year by Nikki Gumbel. Now, when we did Alpha two years ago as a church, I was very blessed because my father actually joined Alpha for it. Um, he, he was an elder in another church in town, but he joined us for this Alpha, and I didn't realise how much it had impacted him until I was going through his stuff last year. Many of you know he sadly passed away last year. So I was going through his stuff, and I found that he'd bought the Nicky Nicky Gumbel Bible in one year. And last year, for me, was a real struggle. There's no, you know, you all know that. I was quiet in church. I wasn't speaking out. Um, And hopefully I'm getting better now. I noticed it the other day. I'm praying out with people, and and I'm getting there. But I think a lot of that is because I'd made this decision, right, Dad bought this book, he didn't get through the whole year, but I'm going to. And so I started it on the 1st of January, and it's been really, really exciting just going through. Um, I'm actually a couple of days behind, but hey, God's of grace, he's not, he's not legalistic, um, but it's been a great, a great journey. Um, and so on day 150 or 108, 108. That's sad, isn't it? On day 108 was this story of Zacchaeus. And I read it, and I got so excited by it. I made a note in my phone, potential future preach. And then I thought, actually, this is an ordinary guy, so let's talk about it. It fits here. So that's the inspiration. Uh, Yes, what's in a name? So let's look at this man, Zacchaeus. So it's a boy's name of Hebrew origin. Uh, so the ancient Greek there, Zacchae, and it does appear in the Old Testament, so possibly named after this uh, Israelite. But the chances are, therefore, he was probably from a religious home. We don't know, though, because this is the only mention of him in the whole of the Bible. So we have to make some inferences. So from his name, we think maybe he was from a religious uh, Jewish family, Uh, And the name meant pure and innocent. So, as I say, we make some references, we make some inferences on on this chat, and how the passage evolves maybe gives us a clue a bit more. Verse 9 does talk about him being a son of Abraham, again suggesting that he was a Jew. But the first thing that we know, perhaps... Uh, and I got the boo from, which I think is fantastic. Nobody likes landing on uh, that square in Monopoly uh, because you've got to pay tax. Um, and uh, it's quite funny, I put in a picture of ta- income tax, tax collector, and that's one of the images that came up. And I thought, yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. But nobody likes it. When you land on it, you all groan. Um, and even Jesus acknowledges the dislike or the, 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 the feeling, the ill feeling that people had for tax collectors. Uh, because when he talked about how to deal with people within the fellowship with sin, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile 
and a tax collector. Wow. That's actually quite an insult. Let him be as a tax collector. Ignore him. Don't talk to him. Don't do anything with him. Isolate from him. Wow. So Jesus said this. He wasn't saying this is what, uh, how we perhaps should treat tax collectors. He's saying treat this person like you do the tax collectors. So he's acknowledging that it was happening. He's not saying you should treat tax collectors like that. And as we see through this, perhaps we shouldn't always judge people how we perceive. We shouldn't judge them with our, percep- with our perception. He was disliked because he collected taxes. But it's even deeper than that. Because in the first century, in the Jewish culture, tax collectors were considered to be traitors to the Jewish uh, nation. He was working on behalf of the Romans. And he was a Jew. So he was not only collecting tax, but he was collecting it for the Romans. It was a hot topic for the day. They really were disliked. They were taking money for the Roman occupation. And we see it again in this verse, don't we? Earlier on in Luke, in fact, the chapter before, um, Jesus is telling this story. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Wow. Worse than an adulterer. Worse than an extortioner. Wow. Wow. And this guy was called pure and innocent. Pure and innocent, and he became a tax collector. Now, the truth is, when I was reading through this, what inspired me was I was assuming that he didn't know Jesus, that he was brought up in a religious home, but maybe fell away, maybe became lukewarm, um, and, and maybe he didn't actually know. And that was the slant I got that got me excited about this story. But the truth is, we don't know for sure. And and his response to Jesus later on, it's not clear whether it is as a response of that meeting with Jesus or an earlier meeting. But the point at this point is we're saying we're assuming and most commentators assume that he perhaps didn't know uh, Jesus at the beginning. But we don't know. And I just want to make that clear. But the point is he was a tax collector. So whatever he was like inside, whether the commentators that say he knew Jesus or he was... He was repentant before that encounter that we see in the story, or whether he became repentant as a result of that story, doesn't really matter. We shouldn't judge him just because of what he does. And maybe that's a challenge to some of us. Are we guilty of judging people just by what they do without actually knowing them? I'll leave that one there. But it might not be his career. It might be his political allegiance. It might actually be the person he's working for. Maybe you're in that position. So you know how perhaps he was feeling. And as I say, maybe you're guilty of doing that yourself. There were no laws protecting these taxpayers either. And these People were required to pay large amounts to this cruel foreign government and the tax collectors, it's well known, took extra for themselves. 
So they're not only disliked for being tax collectors because they're traitors taking money for the Romans, but then they're also pocketing a few quid themselves. But more than that, more than that, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Wow. This guy's not got much going for him, has he? He was a, or the, we don't know, because those words are often missing. He was a chief tax collector. Was he the chief tax collector? I don't know. He was in Jericho, a really well-off place. A lot of the rich and powerful would be there. That's why a lot of the poor people would be lining the streets. Uh, So there was quite a bit of money about that he was taking taxes from. And if he was the chief tax collector, I'm guessing, and we have to make this assumption again, that he probably wasn't young. He probably wasn't very old because he was able to run and climb a tree. (laughs) But he wasn't young either. He's been through promotions. Um, He's probably done quite well. And what do we say these days? Done well for himself. Done well for himself. All about him, all his achievements, everything he'd done. Think of the people that he possibly had to stand on to get to where he got, how much money he took. Again, that's me prejudging. Work, I would imagine, could have been this guy's worth, where he got his sense of worth from. And maybe that's speaking to some of you today. Are you getting your worth from what you do rather than from Jesus? And as we'll see in a minute, Jesus wants to rectify that. But there was... Oh, I've gone in the wrong order, I think. Uh, and he was rich? Oh, maybe I haven't. Maybe I've just gone too far. Oh, yeah. What does that one say? Uh, yeah, I've probably gone too far. That one was probably up there, and I apologize. I can't see very well. They're very focused on work. Brilliant for there. Anyway, John the Baptist acknowledges how corrupt they are, but he gives them hope. So a tax collector also came to John the Baptist to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. He doesn't say, Stop working for that brutal, oppressive government, because that's their job, working for the government of the day. But he says, Do it in an honorable way. There's a huge difference. The employment itself is lawful. It's whether he's abusing that position. And maybe we're sitting here thinking, well, I thought this was about an ordinary person. I'm not like that. I'm going to just leave that there. So he was chief tax collector and he was rich. Well, I'm not surprised if he was creaming it off the top, working in a big rich city. And we don't know how he got his wealth, but the implication in this passage is that he took the extras. And because he had the full support of the Roman authorities, the people were powerless to stop him. They didn't want to know. So, the question is, did he live up to his name, meaning pure and innocent? Or was his wealth gained on the backs of his neighbours and countrymen? How many of us respond in our natural tendency, not in our newborn again tendency, in our natural tendency to look out for ourselves 
and take whatever we think we can get away with, people won't notice. God does, but people won't notice. What can we get away with? Sometimes it can be really difficult to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. And as we see through Jesus, in the end, this chap did see beyond, because what did he do? He gave his money away to, his, to the poor. Again, I'm not standing here and saying, you are all doing this. And if you're feeling guilty, then I would question whether that's actually conviction from the Holy Spirit. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if anything I'm saying is making you feel uncomfortable, ask Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? Time to wake up. No, that's all right. It could have been a lot worse tune, so that's absolutely fine. And so he was a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was Jewish, working for the Romans. He was rich, and he was short. What a poor chap. What a poor chap. Besides his career, another thing that perhaps defined him, the fact that we're told this, I think, meant it was a defining thing for him was his small stature. Ultimately, he didn't let him define him, but I think maybe it did. And I laugh and joke about small people, but now I'm shorter than my son. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I would say is, if you lived in our house and was short, you're actually better off. The amount of times me and Osha bang our head in our house... So being short isn't always a bad thing. Not always. (laughs) Right, darling? But it obviously was something that he had defined him. And so when I read this story, I think of this middle-aged man, plenty of cash, few friends, huge chip on his shoulder, and not liked by his countrymen. I get this image. I I, I actually see, if I'm honest, Danny DeVito from Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure why, but that's, that, that's what we see. And I'm not saying short is, am I allowed to use this word, handicapped? I'm not saying short is being handicapped. Because I say, in our house, it's actually an advantage. But it did define him. So, I think he was a bit of a pantomime villain. This is my brother Rob playing Abuchanabanazah, whatever his name is, from Aladdin. Uh, Aladdin? Yeah. yeah. He was the, the evil one who wanted the lamp. Boo, hiss, exactly. And I wonder if Zacchaeus was actually a little bit like a pantomime villain. He was, as a result, excluded socially, rejected and disliked. Even when my brother, at the end of the pantomime, comes on to seek the applause... There's still, ooh, hiss. Of course, it's the character he's playing. But he's trying to, uh, I, I, I just, it always just makes me laugh. Um, I don't think they boo and hiss him during, when he walks down the street, but he doesn't look like that when he's walking up and down the street. So, so Jessica, this tax collector, probably not young, probably a Jew, rich, small in stature, disliked by his countrymen, maybe starting to resent his job and felt trapped, I don't know. But that spoke to me, perhaps. shouldn't say that. Was he looking for something else? 
And maybe that's why he was looking for this Jesus. Because there was something missing in his life. So he runs ahead to get to a tree because he's too little and tiny and he's wee. He's too small to see over the crowd. So he runs ahead because he knows where Jesus is coming and he climbs up a tree. This short little, I'm going to say fat, but I don't know if he is. This wee little man running along. Uh, he's a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector and he's running. How ridiculous is that in that society? And then climbs up a tree. Stupid boy. But he made that effort to climb the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. He overcame his problems, and I put problems in inverted commas. Some of them aren't actually problems, but the other people saw them as problems. Sometimes perhaps he listened to what they were saying and he took it to heart and he thought it was a problem. What's wrong with me? Why does nobody like me? But he climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Don't be ashamed, friends, of what people say about you. Because if you want to see Jesus, climb the tree and see Jesus. Don't let your stature change you. Don't let what other people say about you. Don't let what you think about yourself. If you want to do it, do it. Don't go in with the crowd if it means you're not going to see. Because it's not going to help. And if you do, you may miss the appointment. And nobody wants to miss an appointment with Jesus. Those that sincerely desire a sight of Christ will use the proper means for gaining a sight of him and will break through difficulty, opposition, and will be willing to take pains to see him. That's faith. And Jesus and God will honour that faith. When I was thinking about these crowds looking out to see Jesus out of curiosity and he running ahead, knowing the route, climbing up a tree to see, I was just thinking of the coronation recently of, I've put C-I-I-I or C-1-1-1, Charles III. Anyway, Charlie boy, King Charles. And everybody lining the avenue trying to see and they're creeping over because they all just want to see him. What will you do to see Jesus? I love this bit. When Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus is in the tree, he looks up and he says to him, Zacchaeus! He knew his name. Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house. Wow. Irrespective of his background, whether he was a... uh, repentant man or whether he wasn't Jesus knew him by name called him down and wanted to stay with him in an intimate place in his house when now today hurry up I want to meet with you Jesus notices him this wee little man that nobody likes, doing a horrible job, working for the enemy, Jesus notices and calls him and knows him by name. What does he do? He hurries up and climbs down the tree. 
straight away. Possibly drawing attention. Well, Jesus has already drawn attention to him. Oh, look, it's Zacchaeus. Look, look, it's the tax collector. Boo, yes. And he climbs down the tree quickly. Oh, look, he's running. Look at that funny little man. But he doesn't care. Jesus has just called him. But seeing Jesus isn't enough. To be transformed by him is to fellowship with him. Is to let him in. It's to get to know him. I say I love the fact that Jesus knew his name. And we see that in the Bible. But I think sometimes we forget how remarkable it is that God knows our names. Because... Friends, there's lots of you here that come to the church regularly, and I'm embarrassed to say I still don't remember your names. And I've just got this group. God knows your name. He knows each of you. In fact, he knows all the Christians in the world. In fact, he knows all the not-yet-Christians too. That's a lot of names to remember. And actually, he's calling everyone by name. And we often see that when God's people are hurting in the Bible, God doesn't notice. Sorry, God does notice. And he actually goes looking. And this, these two um, scriptures here, if they're the right ones, Genesis, yes they are. Um, Hagar or Hagar or Hagar has been prostituted by her boss, Sarai, now Sarah, to give an heir to Abraham. She feels hurt, possibly ashamed, and she runs off. But the Lord finds her and calls her by name. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Of course, God knows everything. God knew the answers. But the point is he'd gone looking for her and was talking to her and addressing her by name. God reassures her and says that the son you will bear... Sorry, she reassures him and says, you will bear a son, but you'll name him Ishmael. God listens because God heard her but he sees her too so she called the name of the lord who spoke to her you are a god of seeing for she said truly here i have seen him who looks after me he sees he doesn't just know your name he sees you in the midst of your pain your distress your discomfort your hurting what other people are saying about you your stature even if you're short God pursues you, calls you, hears you, and sees you. Thank you, Lord. So Zacchaeus hurries down and comes down, and he received Jesus joyfully. Fantastic. Yeah, you can come in if you want. No. Very excited, very joyful. This Jesus, who I was curious about, knows my name, has asked me to come to my house. Oh, did I hoover? Oh, what mess have I left it in? I wasn't expecting anybody to come back with me afterwards. And the people groan and murmur. Oh, look who Jesus is mixing with. Don't question who Jesus chooses at any time. How dare you? If Jesus calls somebody, he wants that person. Irrespective of their job, their career, their status. 
We shouldn't question Jesus' motives or choices because if we do, that implies we know better than him. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't. That was quite a hard-hitting thing for me because I hear about new birth and new salvation and I go, what, really? That person? How dare I? How dare I? Jesus calls and people respond. Jesus, thank goodness, doesn't get put off by what the crowd says, and nor should we. Jesus, when I was at university, being a rather rebellious first year, finding alcohol and women and parties, didn't say, I'm not going to waste my time with him. I'm going to send a young lady along to see you. He's going to invite him to see you. He's going to find Jesus, and then they're going to get married. That's just a bonus. But he didn't give up on me because of the mess that I was in. And then, again, we don't know this point. We don't know whether this is actually answering the people that were moaning or when he was in the house. I think it was actually in the house after meeting with Jesus. But it doesn't really matter. The point is, Jesus, sorry, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. It seems to be that his attitude to possessions, wealth, possibly changed. There was transformation after his encounter with Jesus. John Wesley uh, refers to this verse. He says, Showing the fact that he was standing, showing by his posture, his deliberate purpose and ready mind, and said, behold, Lord, I give, which means I determine to do it immediately. I'm going to do it now. As a result of this encounter, he's transformed, and he confesses his sin and tries to make amends. Evidence of a sincere faith. Not making amends to earn his salvation because he's already got it but as a result of it the only thing i don't like and i think this might be a translation issue issue if i have defrauded anyone if you come to god and you've been convicted of something whether it's before you're saved at the point of salvation or afterwards who knows god does keep telling us when we've done things wrong but only so that we repent of it When we confess, we should agree with God. That's what confession is. Yes, Lord, I did it. So don't say, if I did. If you did it, you did it. And again, I think this might be a translation thing there, so I'm not going to get hung up on that. But he did this not to get Jesus' favour, but as a result of finding favour in Jesus. And then Jesus acknowledges it. Today, salvation has come to the house since he also is a son of Abraham, so he was a Jew, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Fantastic. So again, we don't know whether it was he was doing this regularly or he did it as a response to Jesus. When I got excited when I read this, I think it was a response to Jesus. For within... As Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He was admitting to doing these things 
and then was repentant of them. It wasn't a proclamation, I don't think, of his own righteousness. And it wasn't evidence to those watching. I think it was generally a response to to Jesus. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector, probably not young, probably a Jew, rich, small in stature, and disliked by his countrymen. He was a social outcast. He was the pantomime villain. But he made the effort. He did what he could to see Jesus. Jesus saw his efforts and called him by name. Zacchaeus accepted the call and invited Jesus in. And as a result, was able to bless the poor. After Zacchaeus, after Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus, he changed his ways. And he went above and beyond. I will pay back fourfold. He went back and over and beyond to make things right. He overcame his past and finally lived out his name, innocent and pure. And just like Zacchaeus, Jesus needs to visit your house today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time, but Jesus must visit your house today. Is your house ready for a visitor at the drop of a hat? I don't know, I'm looking at my wife. That's very unfair, isn't it? She's looking at me. He's looking at you, kid. The point is, though, he has not no requirements. He didn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down, hurry up and come down, because I need you to go to your house to get it ready, because I'm going to come there in a minute. He said, come down, because I want to go to your house with you. He doesn't care how dirty your house is. He hasn't got any requirements. He hasn't got you, you need to sort things out before he, comes, before he comes to visit you. We don't have to make things right before letting him in. How good is that? No prejudgment. He wants to come into your house. Are you going to let him in? He already knows who you are. He already knows what shape your house is in. Don't try and sweep it under the carpet, literally. He wants to be there anyway, in spite of the mess. His presence alone and his love for us will lead us to do things we never thought we could do. Even admitting where we have been wrong and making things right. We can easily assume that Zacchaeus lived a different, fuller life after this encounter. And we can have that same experience. Coming back to Nicky Gumbel, and maybe it's because of what he said that this really spoke to me, because at the time I was contemplating buying myself a Harley Davidson, although Sharon says I'm not allowed. He says, I have often wondered whether Zacchaeus was going through a midlife crisis. Whether he was or he wasn't, he found the answer that not so many people are searching for in his encounter with Jesus. No matter how long you have travelled in the wrong direction... You can always turn around. With Jesus, it's never too late to make a new start and ensure your life is set in the right direction. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Lord, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is under the banner 
of ordinary people, extraordinary God. And as I say, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, I don't think he was that ordinary. But there are things that we can surely take from Zacchaeus' life. Last week, we heard how uh, when they were searching for the next anointed king to replace Saul, uh, they rejected the obvious why was he the obvious? Because it was in our eyes, in human eyes, the strong, the strapping man. Surely he's a king. When he actually wanted David, the youngest, the smallest. Admittedly a lion and a bear killer, but the youngest and the smallest, playing the harp, looking after the sheep. And we see, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesus could see the potential, if it wasn't there already, of Zacchaeus, in spite of the fact that he was a chief tax collector, in spite of the fact that he was rich, in spite of the fact that he was short. God chooses. If God has chosen you, it's because you can. Don't say you can't, because you're just throwing it back in his face. God has chosen each one of us for a purpose. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. God's not a man or a liar, so if he said it, it's true. So that means when he chose you, he chose you for a purpose, and there's a purpose to... uh, bear fruit are you all knowing all powerful that you know better than God it would have been so easy for Zacchaeus to say but you can't change me Lord look at me nobody likes me God didn't care what others thought he saw the potential and he sees the potential in each one of you And it doesn't matter your background. He doesn't always choose the obvious choice. He even, even chooses Greeks. Wow. He chooses people that we wouldn't think of. His power can transform anyone from any culture, from any stature, from any background. Jesus really does transcend all understanding. All human understanding. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You didn't choose me, I chose you. God chooses you today. Don't ever rule yourself out because of your past sin. God sees beyond that, so can you. Don't ever rule yourself out because others block your path. Don't ever rule yourself out because of what others say about you. They might moan and groan. They might be taller than you and block your view. God chooses you 
If you look for him, he will find you. Receive him joyfully and let him stay with you. Excuse the typo. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He makes it possible for our lives to be renewed and transformed. And then by being transformed, you can help God transform society. Is Jesus calling you by name this morning? Is Jesus calling you to come into your house and stay? Do you need to confess and repent of your old self, hear Jesus invite for the very first time? I'm just going to ask everybody to close their eyes for a minute and just ask if there is anybody here this morning who would actually hear Jesus' voice for the first time this morning, who, or who actually wants to respond and call, let Jesus into their house this morning for the first time and start this relationship with Jesus. If there is anybody here this morning, just ask you, to raise your hand just so that we can pray with you at the start of what would be a very, very exciting journey. There's no one this morning, but as we always say, we love to give that opportunity. Uh, And if you feel that you're too shy to put your hand up or you just want to talk about it some more, please catch me at the end of the service, Joel or Sharon. Um, any of the other uh, leaders here this morning and we can chat and we'd love to pray with you but let's just pray is God looking for you for a specific response this morning if so please talk to someone about it before you leave this morning If you need to confess and repent of something, of an attitude, of a way you've treated people, God doesn't hold it against you. You're already forgiven. But you do need to confess and repent so that it doesn't become an obstacle or give the enemy a foothold in your life. Do you feel disliked, unnoticed, ignored? Do you feel that you need God to notice you? He notices you, trust me. Do you need to confess and repent? Do you overlook people because of how they look or what they do? Do you need to make amends? Do you need to invite Jesus in again for perspective or healing? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you know each one of us by name. That you choose us from what others and sometimes ourselves we think is an impossible situation and you see beyond that because you see the potential of who we are and what we can become lord as we look to you as we hear your voice and open the door please will you come in and eat with us fellowship with us show us what we need to do in light of that any repentance, any confession. And then, Lord, help us to act in faith, to live out 
this most remarkable transformation that comes through a knowledge and fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.